Hello, and welcome back to Kessel Run Relay, a Star Wars podcast. Our episodes drop at the beginning of each week, and you can follow us on social media. Our links will be in the description. This week is a little different. This was the first episode we ever recorded on the Kenobi finale as kind of a test to see whether or not this podcast would work. And we ended up never releasing it. But since Liv and Hay were in Disney last week and we didn't have time to record, we decided that we were going to release it this week. Also because they're going to release the like Kenobi behind the scenes documentary soon. So we thought this would be kind of relevant. So. Uh, next week, we will be back to our regularly scheduled program, but please enjoy. Just to start off, we're going to do an introduction of myself and my fellow co-hosts. Um, ju- so just to start off, my name is Hayden. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at taika.ytd and on Twitter at and on Twitter and Instagram at mskewytd. Uh, my favorite Star Wars project is I would probably have to say... Um, a tie between Solo, A Star Wars Story, and the Bounty Hunters 2020 comics. Uh, my favorite character, it, it, it kind of jumps around a lot, but my favorite, I think I can do top three for sure. Uh, top three are, definite, are definitely going to be in no particular order because they jump around a lot. Uh, definitely Han Solo, Baylor Valance, and Poe Dameron. They're, they're just my, they're, they're my silly little guys. Uh, my favorite... <laughs> Fucked so up little boys. <laughs> My favorite Star Wars song? I, I've been thinking about this a lot, but I am particular to Luke and Leia, March of the Resistance, and either Corellia Chase or Reminiscence Therapy from Solo. Uh, What got me into Star Wars? I am actually a lifer. So my dad was seven when A New Hope well, technically, Star just Star Wars back then. He came out. Um, oh, when <laughs> congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, Sorry, I I realized what I said, and that is so freaking funny. <laughs> um, but going back to what I was saying, he was seven when Star Wars came out in 1977, and he's been just a fan of it throughout the years. He watched all the movies in theaters, he watched the prequels in theaters, and then when I was growing up, I was born um, early 2000s, so I was definitely a prequels kid. <laughs> so what we he used to play them always on cable just whenever they were on so I grew up watching like Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones on repeat because TNT would always play them like on the weekends or whatever so I think my earliest memory that I definitely remember is sitting on the couch with him uh drinking a purple Gatorade and watching the Mustafar battle uh in Revenge of the Sith uh and it was a part where Anakin goes you underestimate my power. And of course, everyone goes, don't try it. And then he freaking chops his limbs off, which was yeah. excellent to watch as a four-year-old. However, as an almost 20-year-old, I appreciate it all the more. And I actually was, um, I was into Star Wars at, throughout elementary school. Um, and fun fact, I was not taken too lightly for liking Star Wars because it was a boys thing and I kind of stopped loving it and I 
fell out of it. And I just really didn't think about it until my dad took me to watch The Force Awakens with him in 2015. And I don't remember exactly what my theater experience was like back then, just because I no thoughts had empty. But I remember thinking like, oh, this is this is actually pretty cool. And then I, I remember vividly, I, it was what, sophomore? Yeah, sophomore year. I went to see The Last Jedi with my two friends, Caroline and Kyle. They're probably not listening to this, but shout out to you guys. Um, and I remember it was the first time I cried in the movie, like in the, in a movie in general. And I just remember when Luke becomes one, the, one with the force and he disappears, a single tear rolled down my face <laughs> um and then 2019 rise of skywalker i had actually tried to re-watch all of the skywalker saga movies the night before watching going to go see it because i had just gotten on to christmas break and i got to uh return of the jedi at about 3 a.m and fell asleep because <laughs> i had been watching it since like what seven the night before so i went and then i saw rise of skywalker with a bunch of my high school friends and I was like, oh, maybe this is super cool. And I just remember I tweeted a lot about Finn Poe. And it also happened around the time of The Mandalorian, which was also a big contributing factor into getting me back into Star Wars. And I, I had kind of just like kept up with it, not really until, what was it, 2020, when Mando season two came out. And fun fact, embarrassing fact, I didn't know that, I forgot who Boba Fett was. I forgot that he had fallen into the... <laughs> Listen, Liv, I'm sorry. I'd forgotten who Boba Fett was because I hadn't watched the prequels in a while. And I'd also forgotten about the fact that he fell into the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi. So I had to Google who is Boba Fett <laughs> after watching the, oh the premiere God. of... <laughs> I know. You know what, Liv? That's why, that's why Tem disappeared on us at Celebration. Because he knew that I had to it's look him fault. up. No, it's, it's my you, fault. It's fine. I, I'm a this. really new Boba Fett fan too. I hated him until Mando season two. So like, <laughs> I remember when he showed up in Mando season two, I was like, I'm so fucking pissed. I was like, yeah. he should have stayed dead. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, after that anti-Boba Fett slander, I, again, it was just in the back of my mind until I think... I, it was, it was my last day of high school and I was like, oh my gosh, I should probably play this game on my Xbox that I've had, that I've wanted to play for like years and it was Fallen Order. So in the week leading up to my high school graduation, I sat in the back and played Fallen Order and I finished it in like maybe two days because I was so invested in this and I had gotten to the order 66 part and I had like vaguely remembered it from watching Revenge of the Sith growing up and I was like hmm maybe I should watch all of the movies all over again so basically for the next what week and a half two weeks I sat and I watched a single Star Wars movie every single day which was not good for my brain rot and it was just a downward spiral from there and then I saw a video from uh I think it. I think it's at is AJ Starkiller on TikTok. Um, I'm sure you guys know who, who I'm referring to, but I saw a video about him tweet um, talking about one of the comics, and I actually have the comic that really got me into it and got me like like interested in them. But it was the issue where Luke and Leia gets stuck on the planet 
and it's Leia talking about how sometimes she can still see Alderaan in the sky when they're going around in different places. So mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. And then I took my Marvel Unlimited subscription and read almost every single one of the major runs over the summer. And I, oh, my rubber band just broke. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually wanted to start reading them because of the War of the Bounty Hunters event. And I read all the, the series to catch up on that. And then I read the issues that had come out before and I was hooked. And now I sit here holding up my copy of Crimson Rain number five. <laughs> one of three copies I got because I got three variants of it. So yeah, that is my journey. <laughs> That's my journey back into Star Wars. And we're going to do a segment called Brainworm of the Week, which is inspired by the RuPaul's Podrace gang's uh, gender of the week. Uh, and my Brainworm of the Week is Han Valance because I legitimately cannot stop thinking about them. I reread Bounty Hunters 12 this morning, which is kind of widely regarded as the Han Valance Bible and is really like the moment that people see like, exactly. And it's the moment that people see like, hmm, this seems a little This is kind of gay. This is kind of, it's a little fruity, Valance. (laughs) So yeah, my brain worm of the week is Han Valance. So now I will switch it over to my co-host Liv to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Liv. Um, you can find me on literally every single platform at Olivia Amidala. Every, every platform, I swear to God. Um, I go by, I use uh, she, her pronouns. Um, my favorite Star Wars project is, it's so hard because I love everything so much but um i think it's it's a tie between solo star wars story and the the mandalorian those are mm, those are my two those are good ones oh, i love them so much <laughs> so my favorite character like since the very beginning i have not changed han solo he is the love of my life he is basically what got me into Star Wars as well, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, my favorite song, my favorite Star Wars song is Lando's Closet because yes. oh, it's a masterpiece, masterpiece. Oh my God. Yes. But also it's Luke and Leia. Princess. It's better yes. than Han Oh yes, it is. But Luke and Leia is also one of my favorites as well. Um, but anyways, what got me into Star Wars? So I am a relatively newer fan, like sequel era fan. Um, I did watch The Phantom Menace when it came, when they re-released it in theaters a couple, like I want to say that was like 2011, maybe. But like when they did like the 3D re-release. So I, I went and saw it with my dad then, but it didn't really like stick. Um, so then fast forward to 2015 when Force Awakens was coming out, I saw the, the trailers and I was like, well, this looks kind of cool. And I love Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. So maybe this Han Solo dude is okay. So then I, I rewatched the, or not rewatched, I watched the entire um, original trilogy for the first time. I was like, oh, yeah, that Han Solo dude is pretty cool. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then I went to see The Force Awakens and got my heart shattered, but it's fine. 
<laughs> so yeah so I and I was um big into the fandom on Twitter back back in Force Awakens era that was that was a very good time for Star Wars Twitter I will say Mark Hamill was like active every single day he would like reply to all of our tweets like all of our tweets Carrie was on there tweeting out her like emoji messages I I miss her so much but anyways that was such a good time for the fandom <laughs> but and then I got out of it for like a year or so but after The Last Jedi um it has just become my entire personality and I've been in this hell for like what four years now good god yeah is it five years since Last Jedi yeah five years oh shit yeah because I was thinking of Solo but yeah it's been five years since Last Jedi Oh, that's insane <laughs> but anyway so that's my star wars story um and my <laughs> brain worm <laughs> we have a star wars story <laughs> that's my oh whatever anyways <laughs> my brain worm of the week is um aunt baru and her glock aunt baru and the so, glock so yeah. true <laughs> Anyways, now it is M's turn. Uh, hello, I'm Emily. I use she, her pronouns. You can find me on TikTok, TikTok <laughs> at Stardust M, and then uh, on Instagram and in Instagram and Twitter at underscore Stardust M. Uh, my favorite Star Wars project, as you might be able to tell <laughs> by my username, is Rogue One. Yeah, no idea. Unknown, it's brand new information. So absolutely shocking to anyone who knows me. I barely ever talk about it ever. Um, my favorite character is like, hey, I feel like I have to do a top three. Um, so it's I'm very indecisive. Kind of, yeah, I'm indecisive, and it's it's hard for me to take. But it's a tie between Ray, Jin, and Cassian. Uh, my favorite song, hands down, is Jin Erso and Hope Sweet. Uh, oh, I I want to cry every time I listen to it, but it's like one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever. Um, truly, truly, he put his whole jacuzzi, jacuzzi <laughs> into the Rogue One soundtrack. <laughs> he did it for us. Um, uh, what? How I got into Star Wars? Um, I was not a Star Wars fan I, until also the sequel era. I just never had a lot of interest in it, but my best friend had extra tickets to see The Force Awakens opening night. So I was like, yeah, I'll go, I guess. And I watched it and I ended up really liking it. Um, so then I watched the original trilogy and all of the Disney movies while they came out. And then Mando came out, so I watched that. And then I was finally like, oh, I guess I'll watch the prequels. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I really, I liked Star Wars. Um, particularly, I really liked Rey. Um, she's what really threw me into it. Uh, but I, it didn't really become an obsession until I made, it was during quarantine and I made one Star Wars TikTok that started to like kind of pick up traction. Um, not for the best reason, because I 
made it about dude bros hating on female characters and the comments on that were so much fun as you can imagine but I was like oh you know maybe I should like kind of keep doing this um and I was like man I really like Rogue One but I I haven't seen it since like I think I was like a freshman in college so I rewatched it and I have a video of me just sobbing <laughs> watching it and uh that was basically the the downward spiral point um yeah and since then it has been my number one uh investment thing um <laughs> of forever obsessed with it uh yeah my brain word of the week is little anxious 16 year old Obi-Wan Kenobi so because I I just finished Padawan so <laughs> what, what a relatable king good for him good for him <laughs> so I think that <clears throat> that completes introductions also I do want to note that I talk a lot as I'm sure you saw in the why I got into Star Wars tidbit. Uh, and I just, I ramble. I'm a rambler, which is probably good for a podcast, not good for a three minute, one minute video on TikTok. So moving on to the bulk of our episode, we are going to talk about the Kenobi finale. Now I was actually on uh Chaco and Element 7's podcast last night, Diet and the Force, where we were where we were also talking about the Kenobi finale. Um and I'm gonna use I'm gonna reuse some of their talking points in this episode. I, I won't say leading the conversation, but just like inputting that I did in fact get this idea from them because that's just really mean to use their idea and give them no credit. So we're going to start off our Kenobi finale discussion with general thoughts about the episode, and then later we'll go into a general overview of the show itself. So I'm going to let you guys talk because I have talked way too much already. (laughs) (laughs) And wrapped up and like in ending and also like not an ending because like this isn't the ending of Obi-Wan's story as we know. So I thought it was really great. Um... And I also think it left enough open with like, especially like Reva to potentially explore her deeper in other media, um, which I, I always like. Um, yeah, and I also feel like if, I mean, I think you gave the fans basically everything else that they wanted from the show. We had our Qui-Gon moment, which has been the most anticipated. We finally got to see little baby Luke um we got to see Alderaan again which I always love um so yeah I thought it was really enjoyable I don't think I was like as emotionally maybe invested as other people were but I was not as emotionally invested in this show as other people were to begin with um but overall very good probably one of the most solid finales I think of a Star Wars show at least the live action stuff so far Mm -hmm. um even though the Mando ones are very good and hard to beat (laughs) I I was actually surprised by how much the finale emotionally like affected me because I'm not really an Obi-Wan person I I've I've been an Anakin person from day one but never really Obi-Wan but like I obviously I cried during like the Vader Obi-Wan showdown 
but then I found myself crying like during the Reva and Obi-Wan yes. stuff Ooh. and I was just like yes what is happening but I I really enjoyed it I, I like M it wasn't one of my most anticipated Star Wars projects but they did amazing with it they really did I agree completely Jesus that's another thing about me is that I can't talk so this is gonna be fun on a long form <laughs> podcast uh, but anyways I agree with everything you both just said um I again I think all three of us are not really Obi-Wan people like I said last night on Dyad like there's no reason I dislike Obi-Wan he's just not one of my favorite characters and that's okay mm-hmm. that's okay we he's all just have some guy exactly he's just okay. guy to all of us just not to bring balance into it also we should have a balance counter because i'm pretty <laughs> sure we are going to overload this podcast with balance but anyway no one talks about him on, on any other podcast so it's our exactly. job Exactly. so we gotta do it we got we gotta shoulder that burden you know yeah but <laughs> anyways moving on back to what i was saying uh no one knows who balance is he's my little guy he's he's probably not most other star wars fans little guys and that's okay that that's fine and dandy but going back to the finale again i was not really emotionally invested in the show at all like i I, of course i cried at the vader and obi-wan confrontation i'm pretty sure most people did uh even if they don't want to admit i did not you did (laughs) oh (laughs) i just like (laughs) I just was like, cool. Because <laughs> I'm not that, in, like, I hate to say it. This is controversial. I'm just not that invested in Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship in general. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an Obi, or I'm not really an Obi-Wan. I'm more of an Obi-Wan girl, but I'm really not an Anakin girl. So, like, most things where people are like, I'm crying over this Anakin moment, I'm like, sick <laughs> that was chill and you know what that is okay that's okay and I I think the main reason I cried a lot is because I really liked Anakin in the Clone Wars I'm not an Anakin I'm not a Stanakin per se however I really liked him in the Clone Wars and I also watched Clone Wars for the first time over summer 2020 during I don't want to say it made me want to rewatch the prequels, but it definitely made me look at them with like a different eye. Oh, come on. I- I'm so sorry. My Wi-Fi is so bad, but I, I really liked his character in the Clone Wars and seeing it kind of fall and degradate into this person that we see in Revenge of the Sith was definitely painful. And I... Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship is obviously one of the main relationships in Star Wars and there's been so much about it like I also read the Obi-Wan and Anakin comic uh, from 2016 by Charles Soule and it's revealed that part of Obi-Wan's promise to Qui-Gon was that if Anakin leaves the Jedi Order Obi-Wan has to leave with him and keep training him. So I think a lot of the background media definitely adds to the the brevity and the the depth of their relationship. And I think seeing that come into play on screen 
was, I think that is what made it really emotional for me, at least because in the Vader 2017 run, there's Vader has a bunch of visions about his fight with Obi-Wan and how it could have gone differently. And that was finally realized both in episode three, when, um, when he kind of holds Obi-Wan down in the fire just to make him feel a fraction of the pain that Obi-Wan made Anakin feel. And in the confrontation with uh, the Vader's mask, like completely broken and him just talking to Obi-Wan as Darth Vader and not Anakin anymore. Um, But yeah, I think what we were going with that is I was also, I cried more at Reva's parts than I did at the Vader and Obi-Wan confrontation. I'll be completely honest. I talked about this on Dyad when I was on it, but the line, have I become him, stays in my brain. I woke up at 3 a.m. to watch this finale. Uh, I also like to watch things only once just because I am emotional and I don't want to watch something that will hurt so me. So that's I- why I can't read Bounty Hunters in public. I have to do <laughs> it alone at night before I go to sleep. Ethan, Ethan, if you're listening to this, you are my enemy, my worst <laughs> thing. <laughs> but yeah, I only, I watched at 3 a.m went to sleep got up went to work and the thing that i most remember from that from watching it for the first time was the line have i become him and i think reva's character in general is just so interesting because i don't want to say that she was made out to be just another inquisitor because she really wasn't like she maybe besides trilla and masana tide who's the ninth sister uh they are really the only ones that get like a name there's also one character from the mace windu run that gets corrupted into an inquisitor i can't remember his name i really didn't like that run so it's kind of out of sight out of mind but the way that they treated reva as this kind of trojan horse and how they made her like this agent for herself in double crossing everybody just to get what she wants and then in in the end she she doesn't get what she wants because she can't emotionally do it i think one of the one of the great one of the good scenes in this show was when she sees herself as luke unconscious laying up against the is it the junlin waist that um the junlin waist where she freaking tracked luke to after going at it with owen and baru uh, and her seeing herself in Luke and not being able to do it, I think was just such a good moment. And her bringing Luke back in her arms and carrying him was also a really good moment. And then that's where Have I Become Him comes in. And that really solidifies Reva as one of the standout characters, I think, in this series as a whole. Uh, I think I'm getting too into the other kind of topics that we're uh, (laughs) we're going about but um yeah I I thought this series was really solid I again I was not super emotionally invested in this I was I've never really been like an Obi-Wan person maybe Anakin a little bit and then I read the the comics and rewatched the movies and I latched on other characters there but the the emotional depth of this series as a whole and Obi-Wan's journey throughout it is one of the greatest arcs in all of Star Wars media across legends, across comics, across books. His, because it's also a side of Obi-Wan that we really didn't see 
for is he's always made out to be at least in the media that I've read as like this strong resolute like figure not messianic per se but like strong and sure of himself and in the beginning of the series he is not like he he is going through it and where we see him at the end is as he finally like realizes that he's still a Jedi at his heart even though the the Jedi of the Republic are gone and the Republic area area era is like completely bygone he still realizes at his core that he's that he's a Jedi and a Jedi and being a Jedi can mean anything you want it to mean and that's why I think the rematch between him and Vader was also really interesting but yeah his whole arc throughout the show was great um yeah, so I think we can move on to some of our favorite moments in the uh, in the series. I I already talked too much, so I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, we've we've touched on it, but I'm sure you guys can go much more into detail in in your little segments. <laughs> um, I one of the the standout moments in the episode for me was probably when. Obi-Wan and and Vader are talking like when his helmet gets smashed just to see like Hayden Christensen behind the mask and he sounds like Anakin it's it's like all modulated but like there's moments where it's Vader and there's moments where it's Anakin and I just freaking lost it (laughs) but the parallels between that fight and then the fight between Vader and Ahsoka uh, was it Malachor? Yeah, it Malachor. Malachor. Yeah. But like, I saw someone point out that Obi-Wan ruins this half of Vader's face and then Ahsoka destroys the other half. But the only person who like fully takes off his helmet is Luke. So like, they... <laughs> but I just... <laughs> <laughs> that that moment where it, or Vader is like, you didn't destroy Anakin Skywalker. I did. Oh my god! Just stab me. It would hurt less, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, my I think my favorite moment was definitely the Reva scene where she is crying and yeah, she's saying she's like, I couldn't do it for them. Like she couldn't kill Luke and then she's like have like hey is saying like have I become him I just thought that was such a it was so heartbreaking and it was such a fantastic culmination of Reva's character in this series um and like what she's gone through and I really liked that exploration of the trauma of someone who has been through Order 66 because I think we've seen a lot of Order 66 but you know, Kanan experienced it very differently than Grogu experienced it, than Reva experienced it. So I think this was so powerful um, to really see her have that moment of like fully kind of accepting what happened to her and also learning that like she doesn't need to take revenge to to move on to grow from that um which I always really love in Star Wars when like characters realize like revenge is not the path that they need to take it's not the path that they need to take to be good um yeah I just I love that and I think 
Obi-Wan comforting her too made it so much better, especially given like the context of like, you have this like Jedi master comforting like a, a in like like a Jedi youngling basically um I thought that was so sweet and then my other kind of standout moment was Leia saying I think it was something like there are lots of different ways to be a leader um and I just thought that was also fantastic once again giving the context of like what she'll end up doing both in like the rebellion and then going into like the new republic and the resistance uh I just I love that moment I love seeing anytime Leia interacts with Bale and Brea and just Mm -hmm. continuing to build up like how much they influenced her like how much her parents really made her into like the wonderful woman that we were introduced to in A New Hope. Yeah I however do not appreciate when they give Bale Organa these foreshadowing lines when he knows what happens to him because that makes me have a mental breakdown every single time they're like they're like look at how beautiful Alderaan is and be a shame if it were to be completely destroyed <laughs> like gee thanks love like, that you don't need to remind us again we know what happens <laughs> I have to go back to Alderaan okay don't <laughs> not <laughs> please fail <laughs> oh my god <sighs> I talked about I can't really pick out not to be cliche but I think my favorite overall sequence of the episode was not the lightsaber battle between Vader and Obi-Wan but the confrontation of Obi-Wan talking to Vader. I don't even want to call him Anakin because that is not Anakin. I talked about this a little bit on, again, Dyad when I was on there, but Vader has always been a presence in Anakin's life ever since he, we were first introduced to him in the Phantom Menace. And he was always, he was always Vader. And it was, I've seen a lot of like posts about this just on various social media sites, but Vader was dormant in Anakin and he kind of like reached his hand up a couple times to like let everyone know he was there but I think meeting Padme um in Attack of the Clones again after not seeing her for 10 years really I don't want to say accelerated his fall because he was probably already falling the first second that he met Padme but it really solidified that he was destined to fall And I don't want to say like he became Darth Vader because he always was Darth Vader. He's always been passionate and he's always had attachments, but seeing like what Vader has turned Anakin into, if we're going that route was horrifying. I mean, the, the smile that Hayden had on his face when he was confronting Obi-Wan, that was haunting and knowing the background of the Vader 2017 run by Charles Soule and how Vader fantasized about Obi-Wan coming back and finishing the job and and killing him it it was it was it was jarring (laughs) I fully have to commend Ewan and Hayden's performances in that scene because oh my god Ewan was incredible so good and when he was apologizing to Anakin 
I, man, the man. tears in his eyes. I, I lost it. <laughs> it was super, super painful. And Obi-Wan leaving him there again, like he did on Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith. And Anakin basically begging him to come back, like in the Vader 2017 comics, and finish the job by yelling his name. Come on. You, it was so, so good. And it was an important moment for Obi-Wan's arc in the story as a whole, because he has always kind of, like even in the second episode when he said Anakin, and then it flashes to Vader, he always, he still thought that Anakin was in there. And the line, then my friend is truly dead, that solidifies him letting go and accepting that this is not Anakin anymore. This is, this is Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Uh, So him leaving Anakin again, like he did on Mustafar, was a really, really strong moment and just standout moment from the show. so good and I feel bad because I kind of I wanted to talk about like the specific segments of the episode and just in of the show in general and I don't think I've talked about Leia at all in this show to do her justice because is it Vivian Blair is it is that the actress I think that's how you say it yeah she is adorable and she did a fantastic job as Leia and the another moment that I really liked from the episode but it wasn't necessarily like my favorite favorite of the entire episode was Obi-Wan telling Leia that she is the future like she is the future of the Star Wars universe and I I this goes into another conversation which we can have in a different episode but there was a scoop that came out I forget if it was last year or early this year that that revealed that Leia would be in the show and I looked at it I was like that's not going to happen. She was basically the driving plot of the entire show. And it made me sad because I wanted to be surprised that Leia was there. But seeing her there, I thought she was only going to be there as like a cameo or something. But no, she, I was pleasantly surprised that she was the driving force throughout the entire show. And again, that's a conversation for another time. But I was initially hesitant having her be in the show and having her be a main character. But she helped Obi-Wan so much confront the lasting feelings that he had uh, mm-hmm. that even a decade later after Order 66 they were still there and he was still feeling them and he she really just did a Vivian Blair did a great job portraying her like the way she she carried herself was absolutely how Carrie Fisher portrayed herself as Leia and it was adorable like the way I forget what part what part I'm talking about I forget if it was in the fourth like I think it's in the last half of the season but when she like walks away with her nose in the air like that is that is little Leia she I I don't think about little Leia enough and I think that's I don't want to say a pitfall of the show that we just forget that freaking Princess Leia Orgata is the main <laughs> driving plot yeah. of the show. but it's it's so good and it was so perfect how they handled it and it gave a lot more depth to the scene in A New Hope when Luke rescues her and she goes Ben Kenobi where is he and then yeah. she runs out of the room because it, before Obi-Wan she 
we really didn't know how she knew him and how they and how they knew each other and how close they were but after this show complete 180 besties so so or like how people point out that like oh this adds so much more to her naming her son ben like before it's like it's like Oh, like I like I guess like he saved you but like it's kind of weird that you're just like naming a, of a man that we assume that she knew of but never met but now knowing yeah. that Obi-Wan saved her that he helped shape her into the person that she was you know naming her son Ben get, has so much weight now um mm-hmm. I think especially given like I think and I mean it also adds I think a lot to even like Kylo's slash Ben's story like knowing that like that name has like weight like because Leia is naming her son after who what she is like this great man who saved me and who helped my family and who shaped me into this person and that's just a like another weight on on Kylo and like his whole thing with like this legacy he has the solo legacy has the Skywalker legacy and now he even has the legacy of Obi-Wan on him um and then also like how a lot of people pointed out that like her lightsaber is very similar to his like that's another really just like uh, like a, a detail that is so incredible now that you know like their back who their backstory like you're like oh she she wanted when she was thinking about being a jedi like she wanted to be a jedi like obi-wan was that like her brother was but also like obi-wan was i just i think that's so incredible also, I do have to laugh um, when Obi-Wan's like, I'm not going to give a 10-year-old a gun. And I'm like, currently, Guerrera having a 12-year-old as his favorite soldier, who he gave a gun three days into knowing her as an eight-year-old. <laughs> I can't give a 10-year-old a gun. Guerrera's like, the fuck you absolutely can. <laughs> like, Saw's here like, no, give her a gun. <laughs> she'll, figure it, she'll figure it out <laughs> like, like literally cut to saw Guerrera currently taking Jin Erso on a mission to go get coaxium from Edifice <laughs> so true <laughs> like they're like no we're so worried about Leia <laughs> she's on this mission she's, she's in danger <laughs> I, I my my Wi-Fi kind of cut out um when when you um when you said that last thing you said, but I wanted to bring up that that was a really good point that you made about the legacy of Obi Wan as well being added to the legacy of the Skywalkers and the Solo legacy, and I never really noticed that her and Obi Wan's lightsabers like the emitters are almost exactly the same. It's like that that same kind of rounded. Um, rounded emitter and the 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 hilts are the the hilts themselves are pretty similar in size but the the pommels I think it is like the bottom I think they're they're the same too I wish I wish I had the lightsaber with me I don't because I don't have two hundred dollars to spend (laughs) currently but I also have I've been conflicted about Kylo as a character and this can be a topic for another um another episode but the, the weight of all of those three legacies lying, not lying, <laughs> lying and being placed onto him without his, I don't want to say his consent, but like just a, just, it's, it's a, 
it's an inherited thing. That's something mm -hmm. I never really thought about. And I think I will definitely have to reevaluate how I look at, at, at Ben slash Kylo um, as well, because it goes in, it, it goes into that a little bit in Rise of Kylo Ren, which I did read for Ren, but <laughs> I enjoyed the discussions about the legacies that Ben holds in his hands as he goes through life and tries to be a Jedi. Um, I think we really haven't talked about this a lot, but we need to talk more about the Lars Homestead kind of sequence with Reva. And then once Reva, um, <laughs> Reva the Glock. I got a Glock, Glock, Glock. <laughs> she was ready. She was ready. She, the way she like, was I need a bitch to try me right now. <laughs> like the way that... Oh, and it's like, oh no, like, what are we gonna do? And we gotta run away. And she's Wait, like, like no. I have been purple. No. <laughs> Bruce, like, bitch, I'm prepared. You think I had this this kid in my house the whole time? And I've just been like sitting here, no weapons, nah. No, sir. This is my son, motherfucker. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> and now I'm wishing. It's hidden in her walls. Like, good for her. Now I'm like, I'm like, no, but how did the stormtroopers take her out? Possibly. <laughs> also sent an entire platoon to their freaking farm. Like, girl, I don't maybe think it was any the of them survived. I'm just yeah, say. I was like, maybe it was the age. Maybe that's why they like had to like not just it wasn't just like oh they got shot. They had to like torture because that was the yeah. only way she could take it down. The skeletons were like crawling out of the house too. Like yeah. they didn't go down without a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to well not also because we really haven't started talking about it but we've talked about Reva's arc and how it really comes to a satisfying close in this show at least I I've heard I've heard the rumors that she's getting a spinoff show I don't know how likely those are so I, I, I will take it with a grain of salt but I would be totally well, if it happens wait what, what were you gonna say uh, I'm like I'm conflicted because like I want to see Moses again so badly but also like I, in some ways I'm like oh would a book like serve her character better though like because I think that's like so much of like I think especially like because so much of her journey is like an internal one that something like a book where we're really able to read her thought process might be very beneficial to the character but I love Moses Ingram and I feel like it would be a shame if she was just in this and they like never brought her back because like she's such a good actress and like 100%. you should be using her exactly and that was actually another one of the things that I wanted to talk about we can talk about that later but her art comes to a very satisfying end especially with the reveal that she was never an inquisitor to be an inquisitor she was an inquisitor to get close to Vader and mm -hmm. get him which good for her good for her and she deserves it but again we we talked about this a little bit before but her not being able to go through with killing luke because she saw herself in luke was i think a fantastic parallel to vader in return of the jedi he he can't let the emperor kill his son because that that's his blood and mm -hmm. her seeing herself in luke really solidified Riva as an, a, an emotionally complex character and probably the greatest original character to come out of this series. Tala was great too, but she does not hold a candle to Tala. most. Tala. I, oh, I, 
actually have been actually we can talk we can talk about this now but i was on again dyad and we were asked if we wanted um spinoffs for any of the characters we were we asked if we wanted a prequel a sequel or a spinoff from the show and i said that we really don't need a prequel and i really don't want a sequel but if we could get a spinoff about reva either like a comic series or about the path which we can again talk about the the concept of the path later that mm -hmm. would be amazing and then once reva's kind of part is done Obi-Wan bringing the T-16, the model of the Skyhopper, to Luke, and he is in, wait, let me pull up the cover right now. He's in his <laughs> comic accurate um, yes. outfit in Star Wars 2015 with like the, hold on, I gotta close Bounty Hunters. I was reading Bounty Hunters, of course. <laughs> but he he's like in his comic accurate outfit with the the white robes and the the, the goggles and the backpack. I have it almost pulled up. Which one is it? It's 15. Almost there. Okay. If it loads on my Wi-Fi, please. Anyways, I'll show it when it comes up. But that kind of evolution to where we see him in the comics during the journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is kind of like that... Um, they're not one shots, but they're stories within Star Wars 2015 that take place because he he wrote them down and he left them in a journal for Luke. And that is one of the main driving um, kind of plot points in that little arc of Star Wars 2015. And seeing that and him being able to, there we go, it loaded. <laughs> in the... Um, the, the white tunic, the, the sleeveless cape, the goggles, and the backpack, that really solidified his evolution into Ben Kenobi and not really Obi-Wan, because he was kind of living under the guise of Ben Kenobi on Tatooine, obviously, but it really solidified his character journey into Ben, because I feel like Obi-Wan was Jedi in the past, but once he moved on and he was able, he was then able to see Qui-Gon's Force Ghost, which we'll talk about later, that really solidified his, his kind of shift into Ben Kenobi. And of course, we got to talk about it. Hello there. We got it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> a good chuckle. But that, I have a lot of ideas about fan service and cameos, but that is one of the one of the times I will say you know what we needed that that was for the fans yeah <laughs> um, we can talk about fan service and cameos maybe a little bit later but that moment where he meets Luke for the first time and he's not really watching him from afar like he has been for the past 10 years and watching him grow up and being able to talk to him that was really that was a really special moment and it it really helps with his transition into this character of Obi-Wan. Um, but now we can talk about the ending of him walking into the Junlin Waste on his EOB. And I will send it over to you guys because I, again, have talked way too much. <laughs> I, honestly, my immediate thought was about Ari. Me Same. too. I was like, I literally texted her like, the girl and I was like, hey, bestie. And she was like, hi. And I was like, are you okay? <laughs> I texted her and I was like, bestie, do not check Twitter, whatever you do. But text me afterwards. 
she sent me a picture of her sobbing. <laughs> yeah, and she was like, I just, she's like, I finished it five minutes ago. <laughs> oh my god. But it was it was such a good way to include Qui-Gon. I'm glad it wasn't like an extended like chat, I guess, mm-hmm. of him, him and Obi-Wan. That would have felt fan servicey to me. But mm-hmm. just him being like, yeah, I've always been here. You just couldn't see me. That feels very Qui-Gon. It feels very Qui-Gon. So it felt deserved. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. I think it was a nice way to end the series versus like him being kind of inserted in the middle somewhere too. Because I feel like it is a very like memorable way to end it. Plus, I feel like it was really because like the whole time we see him trying to reach out to Qui-Gon, trying, you know, asking his master for help and guidance. So then at the end when he's like, yeah, I've always been here. I think it was a very sweet moment. Um, Gotta love Liam Neeson just lying straight through his teeth saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do any TV. I thought about that quote and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> well, my favorite thing is he's like, I'm not going to do any TV. But not only is he in this, but he's going to do an episode of Tales of the Jedi for Qui-Gon. <laughs> True. So I'm like, you lied twice. <laughs> oh my God. But um, yeah, I thought it was a, a nice moment. And that's kind of part of the reason why I like, I don't know, I have conflicting feelings on like another sequel. But I do feel like if this is it, um, at least with the TV show, I do think that, yeah, once again, ending on Qui-Gon, where, not where we saw Obi-Wan start, but like going back to like a Phantom Menace when we saw them together, uh, kind of before Anakin. And this is like kind of in a world where like Obi-Wan has kind of finally accepted Anakin is gone, is kind of, I, I like that. I think that's a really good transition into kind of a more general overview about the series as a whole. Um, I think this worked really well. We we talked about this on Dyad too, but we we talked about how it worked definitely as a six part series and not necessarily a movie. Mm-hmm. I this is just my personal preference, but that I think that the the way it was serialized and how the arc was separated into the t- the the six episodes worked for me. Um, there has also been a lot of discussion about filler and the use of the word filler within the popular kind of phantom scope as a whole. And in a six episode series, you you cannot have filler. The filler episodes were, I I forget which development. Yeah. I, no, it was actually a video by Mac at Mac2Reality on TikTok, and she talked about the history of the word filler, so if you're interested, definitely go check that video out. But people were calling the fourth episode of the show filler, but that is probably one of the most significant moments in the series overall. It's freaking Obi-Wan rescuing Princess Leia from being tortured by Inquisitors. How was that filler? I, I really... I personally don't understand that viewpoint and it just leads into a bigger conversation as a whole about media consumption and how the the kind of binging um the binging mindset or the binging 
uh, entertainment kind of production has ruined how we look at serialized TV. And when people don't get what they want exactly in the first or first or second episode, they immediately write it off. And they're like, oh, they're not giving us what we want. We, we want this. We want that. We want that. But it really hasn't started yet. And people just need to be patient. And this also leads into another conversation about fan service and cameos because there were there has been a lot of discussion on TikTok and Twitter about cameos and scenes we could have um, scenes we could have gotten but we didn't. And I've seen I've also in tandem with that I've seen a lot of complaint about how there were no Clone Wars flashbacks. I personally don't think we needed Clone Wars flashbacks at all. <laughs> we have doesn't make sense. Why it do doesn't you need flashbacks? It, it goes into this whole thing, too, that I have. It's like so many people basically just want what we get in other media in live action. But that makes no sense. We already have it. Why do mm-hmm. we need to see a flashback? I know, like, I know, and I'm thinking, like, if it was a Clone Wars flashback, I'm assuming maybe it would have been a different, it would have been something we hadn't seen because, you know, like, a lot happens. You skip around a lot in the Clone Wars. But, like, when people, like, talk about, like, oh, I want to see, like, this scene. It's like, but why? Wow. Like, you have it. When people, like, it was like when people were talking about, like, oh, what if they did the Maul and, and Kenobi fight in live action? But why? We have the whole it's fight in animation. It's so good. Like, it's already good. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't need live action to make it better in the same way that, like, I think a lot of people talked about, oh, I hope that we get this scene from the comics in this show. It's like, but you have it in the comics already. It's there. You have consumed it. And it's not like, and it's different from like, if we were just talking about like, they're doing like a a War of the Bounty Hunters TV show and they're adapting it. They're fully adapting a comic. Like that's a different conversation to me than just like, let's take some of the scenes from the comics and make them live action. Cause like they're already there. But if you're adapting- something in total like a book or a comic I think that's different and that's it's a completely different conversation but yeah it like it frustrates me I have a lot of feelings on cameos too I personally thought this show did a really good job and like the thing is like it's it's an Obi-Wan story there's so many things that you can reference in it and do cameos because like he has so much he's had so many different friends and relationships that you can build but I was generally happy with what they chose to do and reference like you know having the the Quinlan name drop but then but then actually like seeing and like interacting with Obi or little Luke and um Leia uh having the the inquisitors be in live action as like easter eggs to rebels like i thought that was cool except i was disappointed we never saw the helicopter lightsabers fly same deborah i love you so much where was that scene why don't we have it (laughs) but i thought this show like and i think I think, and I think especially since the Book of Boba Fett, the Star Wars fandom has been having increased conversations on this, given that we basically got two episodes of that show where it wasn't about Boba Fett. And I, I feel like also that's another conversation where I've seen a couple of people be like, oh, but this show wasn't really about Obi-Wan. It, it was. Like, <laughs> I, I was like, it's just, me. Yeah. But I was like, I was like, to me, there's a big difference between Reva being developed as like a villain as she should mm-hmm. and sharing the screen time with Obi-Wan and something like we got in Book of Boba Fett where it was literally 
two episodes about a where we, we did not see Boba Fett at all. That's the difference to me. Like, I wouldn't, I think, like, if the Mando episodes had flipped back and forth between Din and, and Boba, different conversation. But, oh, yeah. so I feel like this show is good. Enough. Yeah, I also didn't think there was really any filler. No. I, no. I thought this show was incredibly tight. Um, I think when people talk about like episode four, I think like another really important thing that we talk about is like how much Tala was in that episode. If we didn't get that development with Tala, her death wouldn't have meant nothing. Mm-hmm. Her dying wouldn't have had the impact because we don't know her at all. But seeing her in that episode pretend to be with the Empire, but actively working against it makes you care when we lose her then you're like oh shit and like you think like oh my god like look at all the work that we just saw her do imagine how much more she could have done had she been able to live but also like wow she already trusts Obi-Wan like so much and like their mission to like sacrifice herself so others can live like that's the impact that was needed that's important that's why we needed it um I liked this as a tv show I am I'm upset that they don't really do any standalone movies anymore. And initially, before the show came out, I was very much like, they should have kept this as a movie. I was like, especially because I was like, oh, it's only going to be six episodes. Why wouldn't you just keep it as a movie? Um, I agree less with that now, I think, going back, which is like, this not the episode, but like, I think Book of Boba Fett could have worked better as a movie, honestly. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. I th- but I think this worked really well as a miniseries. Um, because... I think as a movie, I think it would have been more focused on the plot, whereas here I think we got a a lot of really great character development of Obi-Wan. We got a really great study of like, you know, in that first episode where it's like slow and we're just seeing him like go throughout his day and like we get a sense of what he's been up to and this denial of like helping that one Jedi um, and then, you know, not wanting to help Leia, like in a in a movie that would have had to be like five minutes. So it wouldn't have been fine, but it would have felt fast. Whereas like here, I felt like it really had the impact of like being able to really see how much Obi-Wan has changed from uh, the Revenge of the Sith. Um, And I like being able to take that slower pace in a series where you have a character like Obi-Wan who has a lot of emotional baggage and a lot of like, and even a lot of development that he needs to go through to get from where we see him in Revenge of the Sith to where he is in A New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we can definitely move on to whether we want a sequel for this. I absolutely do not think we need a second season. I think everything that was set out to be accomplished by this season was accomplished. And I think his arc and his transition into Ben Kenobi was completed by the end of this. And if you really want more Obi-Wan with little Luke, go read the comics. Uh, There's a trade paperback called From the Journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think it collects issues 7, 15, it's like 7, 15, 20, and then 27 and 28 are like its own arc. But if you want like Obi-Wan on Tatooine, the the first four issues of that of that um, trade paperback are really what you want. And you see more of Ben Kenobi. I think we should also really start distinguishing Obi-Wan and Ben because especially after this series, because 
Obi-Wan was so different at the end of the series than he was in the beginning. And yeah, if you want, if you want Ben Kenobi, those issues of Star Wars 2015 are definitely for you. There's also an Obi-Wan miniseries coming out. Uh, I think the, the next issue releases this week on the 29th. Is that Wednesday? Yeah, I think that's Wednesday. I think so. And if you want more Obi-Wan and Anakin, um, there's the, I talked about this before, but the Obi-Wan and Anakin miniseries from 2016 by Charles Soule, that goes a lot into the intricacies of Obi-Wan and Anakin's pre, post Phantom Menace, pre Attack of the Clones, maybe like a few years before. And it really shows the strains of their relationship. Um, but yeah, I really don't think the show needs a second season, but yeah, I'll leave it to you guys. My one thing is I do think um, Julia, Julia, Christine on TikTok did make a really good point. And I don't know if I would want a second season, but I do think that she made a really valid point saying that like, yes, the show did give us a lot of good development on Obi-Wan. However, it was so Skywalker focused. It was so mm-hmm. Obi-Wan's relationship with the Skywalkers where that is not his whole character. There is so much else and so much other trauma that he carries outside of those like, his relationship with Satine, which has barely been mentioned outside of the Clone Wars, despite the fact that he was literally going to leave. He said, I would leave the Jedi Order for you. Weird that we're not talking about that huge <laughs> thing. Uh, you know, not to say, but like, we got a little bit of it in the first episode, but like when people talk about like Cody, but just in general, like his relationship with the clones and like how, like, you know, how Kanan has all that weird stuff with Rex because like, and it's different for him because he was a child, but like, you know, how how he's processing that. How did he see any other clones who, before they kind of got phased out of the Empire, um, even his relationship with other Jedi who died, you know? Um, I think that is stuff that if I were to say that the show lacked, it was that. And that's where I understand when people are like, I would like a season two because like, yeah, that's important stuff in Obi-Wan's life that we didn't really get to explore. And it does feel a little incomplete when we don't acknowledge that. But then again, I don't know if it's better to do that in um, a TV show or if because that stuff might be more of an internal processing for Obi-Wan if it would be better in something like a book where maybe it's set after this show but still before A New Hope where we can really get his reflections on like his life and the stuff outside of Anakin Um, because Anakin was really important but like clearly wasn't his only relationship even like Ahsoka like that's another thing I know a lot of people mentioned like his relationship with Ahsoka um so yeah, I'd be I'd be interested. I'm not like a huge like give it a season two, um, but I am pro ex- continuing to explore Obi Wan's character because I don't think that like this is oh we just have to stop now. Like I do think like there's still more that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm okay with no season two either. Um, I just. I want to see more of Reva's story because I think she's she's so unique in that she's a villain who got redeemed and is actually living to face the consequences which Mm -hmm. is what that's what I wanted from Rise of Skywalker with Kylo 
um i wanted him to be redeemed from day one but i wanted him to live because you gotta you gotta face the consequences so when he died Mm -hmm. it just feels like a cop-out almost and star wars is so bad for doing that they redeem their villains and then they die instantly so i'm glad they didn't do that with reba Mm -hmm. and that she she's still alive she's still kicking and i want to see what she does next and the kind of repercussions that she faces from being an inquisitor even if she didn't want to but like still (laughs) and it's and it's such a wonderful opportunity to have because we've been so lacking in um black leads but especially black female leads so Mm -hmm. to give reva her own spin-off series to have her be the complete main character i think would be so significant in you know adding diversity that star wars has so often lacked um and also to have such like like you were saying just like such a complex main character um someone who like yeah they're they're having to suffer and we don't know what she could do like does she want to like go fully good and like join the rebellion become like a jedi or like something like kanan or is she more of a just help where i can just try to find inner peace kind of situation like there's a lot of paths i think that you could take especially given the time period that they're in currently um even even waiting and waiting until you know the new republic era and then showing her again and like what she does after like the empire has fallen completely Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to end our kind of- Oh, wait, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the path. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The path, because I think the path is really interesting as a potential, like, they don't specify that, but, like, essentially it kind of, it feels like a rebel cell, like, in a lot of ways, and it's very interesting, like, clearly it wasn't, but, like, it feels like it, and I think that that is really interesting and a way that they could potentially be brought in in the future as like yeah what happened to them did they kind of stop after this point did they continue to try to help Jedi or force sensitives did they eventually join up with the the rebel alliance because they extend they expanded their goal to not just like helping specifically maybe force sensitive people but rather trying to just help the galaxy more generally like that could be really interesting. And I think maybe not like a whole spinoff for them specifically, but I'd love to see, you know, Roken or other characters be brought in potentially and like rebellion centered media in like this way of like, so we kind of know like what happened to them. Cause I think a lot of times like Star Wars has like a particular, but Star Wars like really likes to like introduce rebel-ish cells or things that are like rebel cell adjacent but then we never really figure out what happens to them and you're like so like are they in the rebel alliance did they just like die out what is like if they didn't join the rebel alliance what is their reasoning for not doing that like so I'd love to see more of that from the path um to see where they ended up going follow-up question would you want to see the path in Andor I'm sure you knew that question was coming (laughs) I mean yeah I'm kind of pro I mean it's complicated right because like 
I think that would be probably the best way to include, in my opinion, like force sensitive people slash the Jedi, because it's not really so explicit in that way. Um, and I think it would be cool to even just have them like offhandedly mentioned, kind of like when you're talking about like, oh, if these groups are joining up, maybe Mon Mothma finds out about them or Bale does because he was talking with Leia and he realized that they helped her. And so he decides to like, see if they're still a thing um or even if they're just mentioned so like yeah I think that Andor could definitely be a place to to put them and I think it could be a fun way to connect these series and not such like a big obvious cameo way but in a way that like feels very in my opinion like pretty natural and pretty organic um especially if they brought like back uh Roken for that like having him be like a rebel fighter that would could be really cool yeah and I was gonna say if they really do um what you had said before and expand it to not necessarily force sensitives but more like to everyone looking to escape the empire I feel like that they would really um fit what fit in well with the fabric of Andor as I understand it um Mm -hmm. I, I will say I'm not I'm not a Cassian girly. I will leave that. I leave that to you. You are the ultimate authority on Cassian. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that because I thought it would be really interesting to see even more sides of rebellion or as you said, rebellion adjacent that we really don't see before. And mm-hmm. that's a that's a natural way to kind of close out our conversation on Kenobi uh, with our little recap and our, I don't want to say analysis, but our silly little thoughts on the finale. <laughs> <laughs> So here on Castle Run Relay, we have some comics and books enjoyers in the house. So we are going to establish a little segment called Castle Run Book Club. So this week we are going to talk about um, the final issue of Crimson Rain, number five, one of the second in the the finale of the second trilogy. The finale of the second moment <laughs> of the trilogy by Charles Soule, centering around Crimson Dawn. So in this issue, we see oh, spoilers. Oh yeah, spoiler, spoiler warning for Crimson Rain. Yeah, five. So Sorry. if you haven't I, read it, hit this section. <laughs> but yeah, so in this. Uh, in this final issue, which also this came out on the same day as the Obi-Wan finale. So we got two great stories on this. We got two great finales for two great stories on the same day, which I I really appreciate. And I know that probably wasn't going into consideration uh, with the delays and stuff, but I still really appreciated it. But in this issue, we get Kira with some fantastic costumes. Uh, I think three costume changes. Three. So true. (laughs) Kerberos cosplay already made one of them on um, on Twitter. They posted it's it a couple so days ago. Good. It was incredible. So good. So good. They made so out. good. They made, they made it off of like the the reference picture from the preview. Yeah, like they are so talented and absolutely insane. But I enjoyed, I personally enjoyed just overall, I enjoyed the Crimson Rain miniseries much more than the War of the Bounty Hunters miniseries. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the tie-ins for the Crimson Rain, like all of the tie-ins for Star Wars, Vader, uh, Afro, and Bounty Hunters, they all just flowed a lot better than mm-hmm. War of the Bounty Hunters because it was more segmented. And War of the Bounty Hunters was basically like a miniseries about, about three hours 
of time span and they had to extend that into i think seven months of content i think it started yeah. officially in May and ended in december december so that i think was a little bit of a pitfall but i really like how they incorporated all of the stories into the 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 issues of crimson rain and the tie-ins as well and we need to talk about the ending of the issue once the Knights of Ren come back from the, I don't want to say the Screaming Citadel because that's another thing in <laughs> Star Wars comics, but the the reveal of, the reveal that Crimson Dawn was behind the the syndicate war that was that's currently happening in the galaxy. Uh, in Bounty Hunters, also spoilers for Bounty Hunters 2020, but there's a war going on between the Mourner's Whale and the Unbroken Clan syndicates. And that kind of ties into the greater Crimson Dawn kind of like, he, I'm here to fuck shit up, everybody, which is so true of Kira, and she's freaking brilliant. But there's a bunch of panels in the series where the, the Vermilion, the Crimson Dawn's main ship, shows up on all of the Empire's targets and scanners and data pads. And it's really Crimson Dawn kind of coming back out of the shadows, even more from when they had the um, the uh, auction for Han Solo and War of the Bounty Hunters. And of course, we need to talk about the, where is it? This is my hidden empire, choke on it. Choke panel. on it! So true. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, oh. That freaking set of panels was Kira. That, that's it burned like, into my brain. Like I, I read it for the first time, and I was like, "Like wow, Charles Soul, you are an icon." I do not Charles know. Soul, I owe you my life. Yeah. I've been. I started tweeting every single time that like War of the Bounty Hunters and Crimson Rain came out. Like starting in May of last year, I tweeted Charles Soul, I owe you my life. Every single time yeah. an issue came out. <laughs> I Charles Soul is just he's also the nicest person yes which we can talk about that in another episode but he <laughs> the way he's weaving together these stories within the the gaps between the original trilogy it's just it, it's it's everything mm-hmm. and Crimson Rain was in my opinion a lot stronger than War of the Bounty Hunters and it was just a better story and it was Kira being even more badass with even more great costume changes and I cannot believe that we have to wait until October 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 months so rude because when when War of the Bounty Hunters came out it was like War of the Bounty Hunters ended and then Crimson Rain 1 was supposed to come out the week after but it got delayed which I think was foreshadowing (laughs) and then it was still like only a month yeah, at the very least. I think it was like two weeks. But this slate of delays of the comics has been maddening. This was actually supposed to come out May the 4th. So at the very least, a month and a half of delays delayed oh this comic. Okay, but I do have to say at one point they said it was going to come out May 25th. So yeah. right before celebration... I'm glad they didn't do that because we would have been been so insufferable. (laughs) We would have been so insufferable at Celebration. (laughs) We would probably have to get like, Charles Soule would probably have to get a restraining order from us. Yeah. But can you imagine if we had to wait freaking 
celebration months. No. No. Bad enough. Nope. I'm just glad Kira didn't die. Oh, I literally, because I I don't read this series, I texted Liv and Hay, and I was like, "Uh, can you all just tell me if Kira dies or not? And then Liv texted me later that day, and she was like, Kira's alive, we're good. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I literally couldn't sleep. Like, everyone was like, oh my God, it's so exciting for Kenobi. I'm going to stay up late. I couldn't fall asleep because I was like, what if Kira dies? What do I do then? Who do I talk about? Because <laughs> I, I remember in comments when I was like posting about uh, Kira not being in the book of Boba Fett and everyone's like, well, yeah, it's probably because she's going to die in like oh. Crimson Rain or War of the Bad Hunters. And I was like, why would you say that to me? <laughs> That's oh, rude. So back in my mind. <laughs> and I, I get like, four months of peace now. Okay, That's the only good thing about Hidden Empire coming out in October. I get four months of peace. So. Well, Kira really. lives to the rise of Skywalker and is in the Battle of Exegol, and I will not hear differently, Charles so, so specifically. Exactly. So I saw the Vermilion during that scene with all the ships. Kira told me herself. Lando, Lando Calrissian told me her, himself that he <laughs> called Kira up. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> um, I don't know about five months of peace because Ethan Sachs oh. is... Enemy. Yeah, but I, I mean Kira related. Okay, Kira piece because the, the <laughs> finale of Bounty Hunters 24. Are you kidding me? I hate that man so much. Ethan, if you're listening, I'm joking, but I'm not. Yeah, I, no words can describe that, what that series has put me through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, and now because I feel like we have talked about Crimson Rain enough, we can switch to Emily, who was fortunate enough to get an advanced reader car- <laughs> an advanced copy, copy uh, or we refer to it as an arc of Padawan coming out in July? July 26th, I believe. Yes, I got, I signed up for NetGalley specifically, mainly because I wanted to see if they were going to post Princess and the Scoundrel on there, <laughs> because that's the one, I don't know if they will, but I did sign up for it specifically, but then I was like, oh, Padawan's on here, I'll request it, and then they, like, accepted my request within, like, five minutes, and I was, like, sick, um, so I read it, I just finished it last night, um, and I am, it's my new favorite piece of Obi-Wan media. I'm not kidding. Uh, I think I would give it like a 4.5 out of 5 stars. Um, it's so fucking good. I mean, all of the Star Wars young adult books specifically are very good. They're kind of like my favorite niche of Star Wars media. And this one was no exception. Um, absolutely fantastic. Kirsten White clearly very much understands Obi-Wan's character. Um I don't want to get into spoilers, obviously, but, like, the basic plot is, like, Obi-Wan kind of ends up going on this mission alone to this mysterious planet and runs into a group of teens and children who are seemingly Force-sensitive, and it kept me on my toes, which is really hard for, like, a prequel book to do sometimes, but it was so good. I, I wrote a review, and I was, like, much like Solo, it's kind of this book where you have you know, Obi-Wan as, like, a less fully realized version of himself, you see the parts of the character that, like, will come to know and love, but, like, he is not fully there yet. Um, I think this book did a really fantastic job in particular of exploring 
Obi-Wan's fears and anxieties as a Padawan, particularly um, this fear of failure. And yeah, I, <laughs> it's so good. There, the High Republic reference in this book, I legitimately cried. Um, it was everything to me personally. <laughs> like it was, it was everything. I don't think it's going to be what people expect it to be, but this was better. Um, it was so much better in like every way. So yeah, make sure you pick it up on July 22nd. Maybe we can do like a whole episode about it. Cause honestly, I thought it was um, so good. And I remember Kirsten White, I went to a book event with her uh, a couple years ago for some of her other books because I own them and she mentioned then how she wanted to write a Kylo Ren Star Wars book oh um, let her do that let her do <laughs> that this one was so good and I think that they should I I would want it like I think at this point it to be a young adult Ben Solo novel um kind of before like the events of like the rise of Kylo Ren um possibly kind of exploring like him as like Luke's Padawan I think that she could do that very well um and I think that they should let her do that <laughs> uh, if what you're saying about Padawan is 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 true then definitely she should definitely do one yeah I was like she said it like years ago and I was like I think it was like even before like the Rise of Skywalker came out but I was like yes what, my other favorite part of the conversation that I still remember was that she ships Ray in a hot meal and I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. She understands. Yeah. But yeah, I would definitely recommend it uh, when it comes out. I think if you're an Obi-Wan enjoyer, you're going to love it. But like even me as a person who like doesn't necessarily consider myself like a huge, like he's not a favorite character of mine. I loved it. I finished it in like three days. So then that's pretty fast for me. I think Julia said her and Fern finished it in one sitting. They're both big Obi-Wan people, but. Perhaps this next slate of Star Wars books will be able to pull me out of my comics brain because I still haven't been able to. Oh, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, because you have Shadow of the Sith, Padawan, and then we have Prince of the Scoundrel, and then then we we have this. Yes, started in High Republic with the most beautiful book cover that Star Wars has ever done. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I don't oh, know anything of... about High Republic, but that cover is beautiful. <laughs> it's so pretty. Plus the Princess and the Scoundrel, which is also oh, beautiful. Oh I, yes. I have the I have the I was like I have the poster. I think I'm gonna frame it. I won this in a in a rock, paper, scissors fight with Kels, and then they got one the very next day. But I think the experience of winning the the, the rock paper scissors fight would be it, it would suffice the price the price was well worth it i have a friend friend oh kitty is that emma that's emma yeah emma my beloved <laughs> um he wants my pita okay i think that's it for this week then yeah i was just about to yeah. say that like a pretty good place to end it um, I will definitely have to start with Shadow of the Sith next week, hopefully pulling me out of Oh like, yeah. I have it pre-ordered too, so I should too. I need to Okay. The the red cover, like the red edges. I don't know if that was a pre-order or if it's like a general thing, but it looks so good. I think it's like a special one because I think I saw um the author post it and it was like it was like 
there's only like a thousand of them and they were all signed too. So I don't know like where you ordered them. I don't know if it was like a, what, like a book box thing or like the out of print thing, maybe. It, it's okay. <laughs> if I can't find it, I won't be too broken up about it. I get my little guy Ochi back. My, my so fucked up old guy from later. <laughs> <laughs> and we get more Ray content. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard- Lando. And Lando. And Lando. Lando. Oh my gosh. I've I like heard- how none of us mentioned Luke. We were all like so excited for every <laughs> other character besides Luke. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. Ripped and Luke, but we're different. Yep. <laughs> um, but anyways, thank everyone for listening to our very first episode of Castle Run Relay. And we look forward to making weekly episodes and of course talking about upcoming Star Wars content. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know how to end this. I don't want to say- time. See you next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. 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 May the force be with you. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs>